Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. All right. Good job, Jake and Allison. Thank you, Miss Mary. We begin our series in the gospel according to Mark today. So I want you to know, uh, this is an eight-month journey. So buckle up, you are not allowed to miss one week, because what we've got in front of us for the next eight months is fantastic, because Mark speaks to a church that is experiencing grave persecution. So you've got the church in Rome here. Now, at this moment in time, the emperor Nero has had a twist of sorts, and what was a sane and lucid person is not anymore. And 80% of Rome was destroyed by a fire, and most historians think that Nero started that fire, and then blamed the Christians because it was an easy thing to do. And so Christians were gathering in secret. They were worshiping in, in catacombs under the city. They were facing execution. One of the things Nero used to do is he would round up Christians, he would dip them in tar, he would put them on a pike in his garden and light them up at night to illuminate his gardens. He would take animal skins and wrap Christians in animal skins and feed them to wild dogs. They would be thrown into the Colosseum. And this is a group, the church in Rome, who needed some good news. And so here comes Mark. Now, Mark's an interesting gospel. We'll find out why in a minute. But Mark, you'll understand, was a ministry companion with Paul until Paul fired him. (laughs) That's the bad news, right? But the good news is, is that Mark found a second career with Peter. So any of you who've been fired or are about to be fired and you don't know, there's good news. Life continues, right? So here's this guy, Mark, who has the theology of Paul, the, the firsthand accounts from Peter, And so into this context where the church needs a word of good news, Mark writes what we now call a gospel. And there was nothing like a gospel before Mark set his pen to paper. You see, the gospel tells a story about Jesus, but it's not a story per se in that it follows the normal literary arc of how a story is told. It's not a biography, but we learn about who Jesus is. It contains historical accounts, yes, but it's not a historical book. But emphasis is placed on certain things to tell a story. It doesn't contain a set of beliefs or doctrine, although all of those things are in there. Mark wrote a gospel, which above all tells the good news about a person. That's what gospel means. It's a translation from the Greek. It means good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And as you read Mark, and I I would encourage us, church, to spend some time in Mark. We're going to be in it for the next eight months, so you might as well get used to it. But you'll find that Mark is abrupt and he's to the point, which I think many of you are hoping that the sermon will be this morning. The Greek that it's written in is simple. It's the shortest of the four gospel accounts, and it reads like a whirlwind, and Mark keeps the pace moving. He uses this term, euthus, which means immediately, 
euthus, like enthusiastically, right? So Mark just jams from one thing to the next because it's exactly what the Christians in Rome needed during their time. And it's what our church needs right now. So I'm going to be reading here out of the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. So hear now the word of the Lord to you and to me. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with whom I love. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You'll notice how Mark begins here. He says, the beginning. The beginning of the good news. There's a new beginning here. God is doing something new. And what's beginning? It's good news. Euangelion in the Greek. This was a victory cry from the battlefield. Somebody would come after a war and say, hey, good news, the war is over. We won. So Christians, good news. No matter what we face, we won. Because Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. Jesus, a Hebrew name, which means God is salvation. The Messiah, God's anointed one. They were waiting for a Messiah. The Son of God, because only God can intervene and fix the problem that we have, right? And then you'll notice Mark quotes from the Old Testament. Mark provides the link between God's salvific work in the Old Testament with the new beginning that Jesus brings by quoting from two prophets, Malachi and Isaiah. Now, both quotes are used in reference to the coming of God. And Mark is using these to tell his audience that, guys, Jesus is here. God is here in the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is the completion of God's salvific work. This is happening. And then the attention abruptly shifts from Jesus. John, or Mark introduces Jesus briefly, and then he goes into John the Baptist. Did you know that? John has been the one who has been preparing the people for Jesus. And John's ministry is important because it marks the end of 400 years of silence. Between Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and the Gospels, there is 400 years of quiet. No prophets, no anything. And here's the good news. God always has a plan. 
So here's John. John's the last of the prophets. He's the voice saying, hey, folks, get ready. The Messiah is here. Finally, it's working. God's plan is coming to fruition. And he says this. Are you ready, folks? I got bad news. We're all sinners. So repent. So we all do the same thing, I think, when we get off the phone or we receive a text and we find out we're having guests come over in 15 minutes. You and I, probably at different levels, we do this thing called panic cleaning, right? And if you have tile or hardwood, you get out the Swiffer, you get out the broom, you get out the vacuum, you get out the duster. You just try to make it look like you live a lot cleaner than you really do. Crumbs get wiped away under the carpet or onto the, uh, you know, into the sink. But you, the, the goal is to make it look like you live cleaner than you really are. But what we're really doing is kind of a surface cleaning here. John is telling the people, get ready. The Messiah is coming. And so what do we do, right? We can try to clean up, but the whole point of the gospel is that we can't clean ourselves up. You can't clean up. And what we need is a deep clean. And this part, we can't clean ourselves, right? But here's what we can do. We can repent. I'm a mess. Lord, you see this mess, and it's far beyond my ability to clean up this mess. And I confess that I am a sinner. See, friends, that is the most appropriate response to the coming Messiah. And that's John's message. That's what he begins with. Friends, we've got to repent. And you know what? We have good news in this. Because John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins for all people who would respond. This message went out to all people. And through the ministry of John, we get a glimpse into the ministry of Jesus that there is good news for bad people. Repent. Receive forgiveness. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week. Here's a lie that we hear from our culture. It is ingrained in everything around us, right? Here's a lie, and the lie is this, that you are good just the way you are. The lie is this, that we want to affirm you just the way you are. The lie is this, that you can look inside for healing. You want completion, you look inside. You want healing, you look inside, and you find out who you really are. And that's a lie. Our culture is full of organizations and even churches that refuse to acknowledge that we struggle with sin, that we're in dire need of transformation. We're sinners. And the good news is that Jesus came to save sinners. And step one is to say, yo, I need some cleaning. I am in need of a Savior. And the only thing, one of the only things, well, primary thing, okay, that we affirm here at the Little Church on the Prairie in Lakewood Grace is that Jesus is Lord. And because he is Lord, he is our Savior who forgives our sin and changes who we are inside and gives us that deep clean that we're looking for. And if you're good the way you are and you attend a church or an organization that just affirms the way you are, you have no need for a Savior, do you? So here's a truth. God loves you as you are and... Don't forget the and. And because he loves you, God refuses to keep you as you are. Will you receive that message and repent 
and be forgiven through Jesus Christ. John starts swinging. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. And number two, notice that as concise as Mark is, did you notice that he takes time to comment on John's appearance? Of all the things that Mark could have written, Mark takes the time to note that John looked differently. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. So what? Well, if you were waiting, if you knew your scriptures, you would know that this is highly symbolic. There's a prophet called Elijah, and we read about him in, in First and Second Kings. Second Kings describes the prophet Elijah, who wore a garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. Okay, so John the Baptist, this guy preparing the way for Jesus Christ, dressed like Elijah. Big deal, right? Well, Mark quotes from Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. You see, it was expected that somebody like Elijah, some people thought it was going to be literally Elijah, but there's no reincarnation here. A prophet like Elijah was to be in front of the Messiah. He would show up and announce the Messiah. Mark, or Matthew 11 says, He is Elijah who is to come. So Mark's not commenting on John's fashion statement. He's making a theological statement by mentioning John's wardrobe preferences. Before the Messiah is to come, the prophet Elijah would return to announce the coming Messiah. And John absolutely knew what he was doing by wearing what he wore. And the people who were waiting for the prophet like Elijah, they went, hey, this guy. We ought to listen to what this guy is saying. The great and awesome day of the Lord must be near. So here's good news, friends. God keeps his promises. It took a while. And in 400 years of silence from God, generations came and went. And for a lot of those folks, I'm sure it felt like God had abandoned them, that God wasn't listening, that God was idle, that maybe God forgot. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe there isn't anything to look forward to after all. Maybe all of this God stuff is a lost cause. Maybe I don't need to get my hopes up for God to do anything at all. Anyone? How many people in that time of silence prayed and prayed for God to move? How many people felt so helpless when it seemed like God wasn't listening or acting? How many of us struggle with this today? Well, if you do, Mark gives us good news. God keeps his promises. After 400 years of silence from God, this guy wearing a camel hair poncho with a leather belt around his waist begins speaking into the silence. God is near. God is near. Get ready. Get ready, folks. After me comes the real deal, the one you've all been waiting for, and this is good news. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's what John was proclaiming. we got to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is coming. God keeps his promises and it's not about me. And friends, I want you to know, it's easy to underestimate how popular John was during his ministry. This guy who was baptizing Jews in the wilderness 
was doing something that nobody else before him was doing. That's why he's called John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, because he was the guy in the wilderness baptizing people. They didn't do that. The only people who were baptized were Gentiles who converted to Judaism. But John is saying, no, this is a baptism of repentance for everybody. Extra biblical accounts estimate that around 300,000 people heard John the Baptist preach. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine 300,000 people hearing this message? Mark writes, in all the country of Judea, all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Wow. If we could just have 300 hits on one Sunday, this guy had 300,000. But here's the bad news. Here's where it gets shaky. We have bad news here. We have a tendency to make life about us. And one of the things that we can see from John's ministry is there's good news here and that life isn't about us. John understood that the messenger cannot overshadow the message. And I love that John didn't even try. Can you imagine what that kind of audience can do to an ego? What kind of popularity and status could he have upgraded to if he had changed his wardrobe just a little bit, right? John had a captive audience listening to every single thing he was saying. He could have imparted his thoughts, his opinions. He could have interjected his personality and made a good name for himself. He could have upped his brand. But John understood that life is not about him at all. And so the message of Jesus Christ is far more important than the messenger. So there's good news here, friends. Life is about what God is doing doing through history, what he has done, what he promises to do to bring his plan of salvation to fruition through Jesus Christ. It's not about us. Thank God. I love that we see that in John's ministry. So we start with an introduction to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We see Mark bridging the Old Testament prophecies with the New Testament, uh, with, with what God is doing in present time. We see how John the Baptist begins his ministry. Now, Mark records the baptism of Jesus Christ. And he writes, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. John appeared proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. And then out of Nazareth in Galilee, Jesus, who has never sinned, comes to John and says, I need to be baptized by you. What do we do with that? We know that baptism is symbolic, right? We, we're immersed. Or if you're a good Presbyterian, you're sprinkled. <laughs> but the idea is, is that you go down a sinner and you come up different. We come out of the water different. But in this baptism, 
Listen, in this baptism, Jesus didn't come out of the water so that he would be different. Jesus came out of the water so we would be different, you see. Matthew writes this about this encounter. John would have prevented him saying, no, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I have to get baptized by John, said Jesus, to fulfill all righteousness. What does this mean? Well, if we go to Isaiah 53, Isaiah wrote this, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, listen, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So in the baptism of Jesus, not only is he identifying with us on a human level, he's also publicly stating that the righteousness that he receives is ours as well. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. He identifies with us, and we receive everything that is His. He identifies with us so we can identify with Him. Now look at what comes next, if you're following along in the text. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. Bad news. Being human is hard, right? But good news, when you submit to Jesus as your Lord, you receive the Holy Spirit. And a voice came down from heaven, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Bad news, sin separates us from God. But good news, Jesus mends this separation. And the same words that were spoken to Jesus at his baptism are given to you as well. The same Holy Spirit that descended on him descends upon you as well. That through Jesus, God looks at you and says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Wouldn't it have been cool to be there and see all of this unfold? How cool would it have been to see John and Jesus kind of argue this moment out. Better yet, how cool would it have been to see Jesus be baptized by John and then Jesus comes out of the water and then starts to walk on the water. And then as he passes people, you get a miracle. You get a miracle. Everybody gets a miracle, right? They all eat fish and drink wine because that's how you launch a ministry. How great would that have been? Or, you follow the Spirit. Even if it's into the wilderness. We cannot miss the significance of Christ being led into the wilderness after this moment where he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, where God tore open the heavens, the Holy Spirit comes down, and John he heard it. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus, he could have thrown the massive party. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt and then spent the next 
40 years in the wilderness relying on God, learning to trust God, learning how to listen. Jesus began his ministry and will spend the next 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness relying on God, denying himself, trusting God, listening to God in the wilderness. Because friends, the wilderness, don't miss this, is where God does his best work in us. So when you read about wilderness encounters in Scripture, I want you to think about a place that is isolated, a place of unease where food is scarce, it's desolate, the conditions are harsh, it's dangerous there, it's different there, wild animals are there, the demons are there. You feel like you might not make it out of there. Has God ever led you into the wilderness? Into a season where you do not know what comes next. And even though you have a plan, things just don't seem to be going according to your plan. Have you ever felt like you didn't know how you were going to get through a particular season? Have you ever felt completely out of control because a situation in your life is that complex? Have you ever felt like you just don't know what your next step is going to be? Have you ever been so riddled with pain, whether physical pain or emotional pain, that you were really unsure if you were going to see the next day? Have you ever wondered, God, where are you? God, are you listening? God, are you there? Well, then you've been into the wilderness too. And the bad news is that life is incredibly brutal. And we will be led into the wilderness, but the good news is that this is where God does his best work in us. The good news is that in the wilderness, this is where we learn to trust and obey God. This is where we learn to be good listeners. The good news is that Jesus too knows what it's like to be in the wilderness. The bad news is that, like Jesus, we too will be tempted by Satan in our weakest moments. But the good news is that Jesus was tempted too, and he won. The bad news is that we're going to fail, but the good news is that Jesus didn't. And just like his righteousness is ours, his victory is ours as well. You see, in these wilderness moments, in these wilderness seasons, this is where God is allowing us to be shaped by him. And this is where we wrestle with questions like this. What kind of person am I going to be? What kind of disciple am I going to be? How deep is my faith and how resolved is my character? These questions cannot be answered without time spent in the wilderness. And if Jesus is going to identify with us, He's got to know what it means to hunger and thirst, what it means to be afraid, to be lonely, to deny himself, to be unsure, to be attacked, to be weak. He had to wrestle with not only what kind of person is he going to be, but what kind of savior is he going to be. And this is exactly what the Christians in Rome needed to hear. 
the ones who were facing death and persecution under Nero, who were gathering in secret, worshiping in catacombs under the city, who were facing execution, who were being burned alive to illuminate a garden, wrapped in animal skins and thrown to wild dogs. Here's what you and I need to hear today. And he was in the wilderness too, being tempted by Satan to give up, but he didn't. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. There's good news, friends. God's word sustained Jesus when he was in the wilderness. And it will sustain you when you're in the wilderness as well. Read the other gospel accounts of Christ's time in the wilderness. They go a little more in depth than Mark does. And you'll see how Jesus met each lie by the devil with the truth from Scripture. Now we shift back to John. And I'll end with this, friends. John was led into the wilderness as well. Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Well, here's the bad news about John the Baptist. John spent his life preparing for Jesus. John spent his life preparing the people for Jesus. If there was anybody who deserved a pass, it was John the Baptist. Yet John was eventually put in prison and then beheaded. But there's good news. The good news is that there's more to come after our short time here on earth. The good news is that there is more to life than what we encounter here. If this life is all there is, then yes, John's life is a tragedy. This guy spent his life in the desert wearing smelly clothes, eating weird food, proclaiming something to people, and then he eventually is put in prison and beheaded. And if that's it, that's a tragedy. But if God has more for us, and the scriptures testify to this. If God has an eternity for us, if God holds to his promises that Jesus is coming back and the best days are yet to come, John's story doesn't end with a tragedy. It ends absolutely in victory. And the good news is that through Jesus, your life does as well. So friends, hear the gospel Hear the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, that there is no bad news, that the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, cannot cover. Because the time has come, writes Mark. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, that you are at work even when it seems like you have been quiet. You, you are working. You keep your promises. So today, Lord, may we be reminded of that. We thank you, God, that your plan of salvation has always been going on. We thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, our lives can be changed. That because of Jesus, better days are ahead. 
So, Father, we thank you for our message today. Help us repent and believe in the good news. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Now listen, if you are here this morning and you have never yet, you have never made the decision to repent and believe in the good news, if you're watching online and you haven't made the decision yet to repent and believe in the good news, today's your day. I invite you to say something like this. This is what we do. We repent and we say, okay, God, I, there are things in my life that have to change. This is where we admit that we are not clean. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And so I invite you, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, to say, Lord, I repent, I need a Savior, and I submit to you everything I am. Come into my life and make me new. If you've done that today, welcome home. Let us know in the communication cards because we do not do this journey alone. And this is not just a one-time decision. It happens once, and then the Holy Spirit starts working in our lives. But this is a decision that takes place every single day, and it encounters every single part of your life, and it requires every single thing that you are. But if you made that decision today, welcome home. The next step is to get plugged in here because we don't do this alone. We do it together. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lakewoodgrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless. God bless.